presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. I'm Darren Millard, and this is In Goal Radio, the podcast. From the National Hockey League to late-night shinny skates, the goaltending world offers thousands of stories, and rarely are any two the same. We love the sport, the position, and the challenge of playing such a unique role in a team sport. At Ingle Radio, each one of our guests represents a special place in the goaltending ecosystem. But today, special is replaced by the best. Martin Brodeur has won more games than any other NHL netminder. He moved the needle with his puck handling skills and won three Stanley Cups while staying true to his own personal style. We spent a morning with Brodeur during the draft weekend and a conversation that accomplished what I believe to be impossible. It revealed several unknowns about Brodeur and how he approached and played the game. We welcome in the co-founders of InGoal Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, who were there that morning in downtown Vancouver before the start of the second round. And just uh, paint the picture of our morning with MB30 Hutch and uh, give us an idea of, of what you took away from that. Mm-hmm. Busy, busy weekend in Vancouver with the draft happening. And we uh, we pulled up on a fairly quiet street to a, a great hotel in, in Yaletown and went in to meet you and and uh, Martin and and uh, the um, a number of the other Jersey folks in in the bar just off the lobby of the hotel, and it was a, a pretty intimate setting, pretty quiet setting. Uh, you knew there was a whole lot going on in the city, but but everything was was quite calm, relaxed, and sort of felt like we were just uh, sitting there ch- chatting with a buddy. And uh, and it was amazing to me. I mean, before we talk about impressions of that, uh, as I talk about it being quiet. Didn't we find out a half an hour after we left that interview um, that Shiro, who was walking around, and Brodeur, and the PR staff, and and so on, uh, all must have known that they had just acquired PK Subban. Um, I, I don't think they culminated that deal in the half hour after we left. And pretty remarkable to me to think that we'd been around all that, but obviously we had nothing, no idea what was going on. Woody, before you jump in here, before you jump in here, I want to make the note. It, it was in the bar. But it was seven a.m., so there's yeah, it, it, it was quiet. So before everybody thinks that we were just hanging around, nobody was drinking. Sodas, it, nobody was it drinking. It was before the start of the second round. Yeah, nobody yeah. was drinking. Breakfast lounge, and it was the Opus yes. Hotel. Let's give them some love for such a beautiful setting in in the Ale Town area of Vancouver, which I unfortunately got to know a little too well this weekend at the draft. There you go. But Kevin's spoken to Martin several times. Um, but for me, this was uh, this was amazing. Um, I don't know what I expected, but but you feel like you're going to a, a bit of an old school guy here and yet the impression i got from our conversation that was he was uh years decades ahead of of other goaltenders in terms of his mental preparation for the game in terms of his uh i mean where we, we discovered i think a little bit about where some of those skills for reading the game come from that he's so famous for i didn't realize the preparation that that went into everything that he did and uh and i think there's some great stories in there that uh that really apply to goaltenders of all ages yeah, I knew about the video. Um, like you said, I've had long conversations with him before, but they were usually over the phone, guys. Like for Goalie News, the old Goalie News magazine, a couple times for Ingle when he came through town. And so I've had some sort of in-depth, long-winded conversations, but I'll be honest with you, like, A, they were over the phone, nothing like this. Like the environment, how relaxed he was, um, just a goalie. It just happens to be one of the best goalies of all time talking about a position he loves and I think you know credit to you Darren for setting it up and and that environment and the relaxed sort of nature of it 
um, there were things I didn't know all those years. I didn't know um, the extent of the video work he did with Quran, uh, that all those reads we thought he was so famous for were all the product of hard work, of studying his opponents. And I, I, I can't wait for our listeners to hear this interview um, because there were details, as you said, Darren, that I wasn't aware of, and I thought I had a pretty good handle on his career. Simply from his, what he did during TV timeouts and and his approach to that and what he took, and this this part blew me away, how much he took from other goaltenders that were playing in the National Hockey League, what what he picked, uh, uh, cherry-picked off Ed Belfour or, or Dominic Hasek uh, uh, was was fascinating to me because he he looks like his his own goalie that that a guy that was not stubborn but definitely uh, stayed true to his style for his entire career. And as I I think Woody will talk about Spencer Knight and his experience with him at the draft and how different that was from our conversation with him. Let's not forget that uh, Broder had, what was it, eight or nine interviews the day before Mm -hmm. that are all 15 or 20 minutes in length at best. And uh, there he was happy to start his day off with more than an hour talking goaltending. As soon as you get a chance to talk the trade, everything changes, doesn't it? Yeah, and it was it was the same way. I mean, we're coming off the draft weekend, so we'll talk about Knight because I thought his interview with us last week was like one of the most mature interviews. I've said this, and I said this to some NHL goalie coaches that were asking me about him. One of the most mature um, interviews I've ever had uh, with a goaltender of that age. And then when he was at the draft, like the maturity didn't change, but in front of scrums and with a bunch of people around, like he just goes into sort of media mode. And it's hockey not, talk. It's, yeah, it's not bad. Like it wasn't a bad thing. He still comes across very well, but nothing compared to the conversational tone we had. And that kind of is, is reflected in this Broder interview as well. Although Marty was so comfortable in his own skin when he was playing, like he, you know, him in a locker room could be the same way having conversations about goaltending, but I, in both cases, I think it's just an example of when you get these guys talking about the position they love, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's what it is. It's a conversation. And uh, man, this was, this was, this is two weeks in a row where it was, it was incredibly enjoyable. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you this way. I, I'm not sure how much Marty likes talking about goaltending uh, just generally, but when he talks goaltending to people that are, educated like you two are really uh embedded into the uh into the goaltending world uh it it brings out uh a passionate side of him and we got that where he was volunteering things uh in goal radio the podcast presented by the hockey shop and the hockeyshop.com source for sports surrey appropriate that we focus on the stick in this week's gear segment given Brodeur's skills at playing the puck and the marty Brodeur interview is coming up woody a warrior stick has had a nice run over the last 17 months, and there's your focus for the gear segment. Yeah, we caught up with Cam, who is a, uh, a confessed warrior guy, um, loves the product, and like you said, we've seen a lot more of it in the NHL in the stick department. Now, to be honest, some of that is probably the fact that uh, Warrior and True, as far as I know right now, are the only two companies that have stick-only contracts. In other words, um, you can get a contract as a professional goaltender uh, with them just for using the stick, whereas a lot of other right. companies, it's got to be head to toe, and even then, not everybody gets one. There's only so much money to to go around. So maybe that plays and, a and, role. And Warrior puts all their marketing NHL money into their stick, right? 
Well, in terms of paying the marketing fee, it's the only product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In terms of paying licensing the, le- the fee, licensing yeah. fee, it's the only one they pay for because uh, you know they just haven't gone that way. We've talked about it before in the in in the goalie gear department. That said, like guys, like uh, I'm not being dismissive of it. The reality is, guys aren't going to use the product if it's not a good product, and they've come a long way. And so it was good to have a conversation with Cam about that. And as we hear in the conversation, some of the highlights in the new product, um, but also some of the highlights. Uh, in the old product, last year's model, they still have some at the hockey shop. And of course, when we have the new come in, that means the old goes on sale. So there'll be an opportunity for people. If you can't, like me, just go and visit them directly at the hockey shop, Source for Sports in Surrey. Check it out at thehockeyshop.com. Uh, some of that old stock is you know, starting to run out, so limited sizes and patterns. Um, but because they're such a big store, because they stock so much, and not just Warrior, but all the product, CCM, Brian's, Bauer, Vaughn, all the latest, all the greatest, because it's such a big goalie department, because it's not just a small corner in your local store, it's an entire floor in the basement, they stock a ton of everything. And that means when the new comes in, they've got a fair bit of the old to get rid of. So make sure you check out their clearance section. Um, check out the options on the sale sale price on some of last year's product. As Cam will describe here in the interview, other than aesthetics and paint and look, there's not a huge difference in the Warrior Stick in particular between last year's model and this one, but still a chance if they have your size and pattern to save on last year's model. So make sure you check it out. Like I said, in person, in Surrey at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports and online at thehockeyshop.com. It is Woody and Cam, the tandem, talking twigs in the gear segment. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're in the lower level, the basement. Uh, Once again, second week in a row, I'm here before opening hours, so I get to sort of just soak in goalie heaven. Um, This time, Cam's had his coffee. He's a little more awake. Uh, We don't need to get him as excited as we did last week with the Bauer 2X Pro Chesty. But just in case there's any lingering fatigue, uh, we've got another line this week that should sort of get the heart rate pumping, and that is the new warrior line of sticks the warrior ritual line of sticks cam uh you've been a long time warrior guy um we were we haven't to be honest we haven't tested their product in a few years uh but to me the original warrior composite with um the dampening in the hand the way they used sort of tested different wavelengths isolated the one that your hand feels i think that was the original warrior stick that was that was sort of the start to me of composite sticks that gave you maybe not a foam core feel, but close to it. They got rid of that dead ringing hand feel with that first edition. And that's continued right up through the new line. Walk me through this, what's new, what's changed, what some of the features are, and also through the different models. Warriors introduced their uh, V1 line, basically. So this is replacing the CR line from uh, last year. Um, you'll see a lot of similarities um, with one major difference, which we'll get to at the end. Um, Ooh, your little cliffhanger. A little slight cliffhanger, slight right. cliffhanger. So basically what you were uh, alluding to a little bit there was the Warriors Vibex uh, technology. So what that is is a uh, gel layer that sounds in between the composites um, all throughout the stick and that's now what's helping with that vibration as it comes up the stick um, this is one of the reasons why you saw such a quick um, nhl adoption of the cr line for example is just that uh, a lot of the other sticks weren't able to offer that same kind of feel wise out of the stick when you were playing with it um, 
overall wise, um, it definitely makes a difference in terms of controllability and feel. Um, <clears throat> even for me, um, even like trying out the stick myself, can definitely feel those hard slap shots and whatnot. Um, just you, you don't get that same kind of the stick wants to take off from you when you get that hard shot would be the best way to describe it. Okay, walk us through some of like uh, weight, price point. We've got different models here. What are some of the selling features as you go through them? So basically, you'll see four different price points in the VR series stick um, in particular. Um, starting off, um, you'll see the VE1 Senior. Um, this replaces the CR3 from last uh, year. Um, overall, very, very similar construction, very, very similar feel, bit of an updated graphic. Um, not too much um, exciting to say different from the stick. They've kept it a lot the same because it was a winning recipe. If it um, ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly, exactly. New graphics, though. Yes, yes. Updated look for it. Um, uh, it kind of really pops off the shelf and uh, really pops in your hand when you're holding it. And the slide grip, that's, that, that's the other thing uh, that stays consistent through the line. That's been there before, but again, with a, with, with a new grip. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's something you're going to see actually on the uh, upper three price points. Um, the slide grip doesn't really fully make it down in the exact same fashion that you find on the uh, the V1 Plus Senior Plus, uh, the VR Pro 1 Pro. So I jumped the gun here. I talked about uh, the slide grip in the one model that doesn't really fully have it. So let's a, use a little that bit, yes, as exactly. a transition to the next model, which is the Senior Plus. Yes, so the Senior Plus now takes over for the um, CR2 um, stick. Um, Basically, once again, uh, very similar construction, very similar composites. Uh, again, a winning recipe that Warrior really didn't have to change too much because it because it worked and it worked great. Um, Feel-wise, uh, very, very excellent price point for the stick. Kind of comes in at about that mid-level territory. Um, gives you a lot of the same features that you're going to get in these upper two price points, um, but just a little bit of a friendlier package for sure. Okay, now we jump up to the V1 pro yes and what you know what what is added again like the graphics into the blade change you get a little bit more you can see a little more carbon weave down there what what changes on this deck and i'm guessing as well are these getting lighter as they get more expensive? Uh, correct. As you're kind of tearing up the line, and that's actually something you just noticed as a bit of a call-out, and that's the minimus carbon in the stick itself. So um, basically, their carbon count gets higher as you go up through their lines, and as you start to see it a little bit more on the V1 Pro and then the V1 Pro Plus, um, you can see those carbon blocks get a little bit smaller, and that's that higher carbon count as you're kind of going into the stick. Right, and of course, and it looks like they, they, they label it as well right down on the blade. In, in the V1 Senior, it's minimus carbon 600 the v1 senior plus is minimus carbon 800 and then into the v1 pro um you're into it says minimus carbon 1000 so again just a, a call out there and that affects weight as well yes correct so uh, basically with the uh v1 pro once again a winning recipe that they didn't want to take taking over for the cr1 and that's a stick we saw a lot of at the nhl level in terms of adoption over the past year plus two years C correct exactly and one of the big things was just that balance and that vibration feel so um continue on with the recipe they don't change anything there um so once again, you know, a great stick, great for the price point, really kind of splits that difference between their next upper price point for sure. Um, excellent overall feel. And then from there, we move up to... There would be the V1 Pro Plus. Plus. Yes. Right. So now that rounds out at their lightest and their top offering now. So that has a minimus uh, carbon 1200. Uh Basically, this stick is now, if not the lightest composite stick on the market currently for sale. Um, very, very rigid, but in the best way. 
Um, I'm not sure the exact gram weight off the top of my head, um, but we can always take a look and weigh it. All right, so we took a little pause there, a little momentary lapse as we double-checked on the weight of the Ritual V1 Pro Plus stick with the Minimus Carbon 1200. 660 grams on the scale. That is light. You weren't kidding. Yeah. You know, once again, within terms of that balance and lightness in your hand, you know, you want to be quicker on that blocker side and give you all the advantages you can. That's, uh, you're holding it. <laughs> you imagine grabbing an old wood stick these days? It would feel like you had lead weights out there. It'd be like a training exercise wearing a weight vest. You know, there's a couple old Shearwood 5030s on the wall somewhere. I think you could do a little bit of a comparison with. They're, they're like bricks compared to this thing. Ooh, you got any wood player sticks? I got an old school guy on my team that insists. Like, if we could find an old, like, Shearwood 7030 coffee model with that wicked, like, banana curve. This guy, like, he also hit me in the head in warm-ups with it, but uh, he seems to think they're still somewhat better. Goaltenders, however, are smarter, so we figured out that Carbon Works. Uh, a lot of NHL goaltenders have found out that Carbon Works. They're using the Warrior uh, V1 Pro Plus. Uh, a lot of guys have adopted it over the last year. Any other features on this stick to call out beyond the weight and that feel with the Vibex, Cam? Um, a couple quick notes. Uh, Warriors finally offered their composite lineup in a full right. Um, so uh, some limited uh, uh, colors and also specs available, but there, you can get a full right warrior stick, uh, composite stick now. Um, also available in custom for three packs. Uh, no full right in custom though. Um, so what are the options there? We've talked about uh, the options uh, with the Eflex 4 new stick. We've talked about the options with Bauer and their 2X stick on the custom program. Um, what are the options in custom? What different things can you do with a custom stick with a warrior if you're buying, like you said, minimum three? Yeah, you get uh, you get your curve options. They're big names, so you get their mid, their twist, um, their wedge, and then their uh, heel base curve. Um, off the top of my head, um, other than that, it's just colors, uh, your name, uh, minimum of three for your order, and gets it placed and get them made up for you. Okay, now the one thing that you talked about here is as you went through the line, we compared. Uh, the new V1 to last year's model, the CR. Yes. There weren't a lot of changes in some of the lower price points beyond graphic, as you said. Like, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Little small tweaks, but not major in some of the price points, which leads me to believe if you have stock left, it's probably on sale of the CR. So is that an option? Obviously, it would be a matter of whether you have people's, the preferred length paddle length curve things like that but are those on sale right now that's correct yeah we do um have some of the uh, cr1 two and threes left over um a little bit get uh, limited in size and curves left over but if you're looking to save a couple bucks and some of that last info jives with you you have a chance to come check them out for a little bit of a cheaper price yeah from what i see on there they're going fast off the rack so um check it out at thehockeyshop.com uh, you can see whether they have it in stock for you, or if you happen to live in the Lower Mainland, be sure to visit them in person at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. And if you've got any questions, you just want to call and see what they have in stock, want to clean them out, order everything that's left on the wall in either the CR or the new V1 uh, Warrior Ritual Stick, you can call them at... 604-589-8299. Perfect. Thanks, Cam. All right. Thanks, Cam. Nice job. Haven't spent a lot of time on sticks. I think that's the second or third uh, little gear segment on, on sticks. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a twig guy, but 
and I've voiced this to you guys talking about the price of sticks and really how much can it make a, a difference, but really the top sticks and the technology they're putting into it does impact a person's puck handling and how they they go about playing the puck. Woody, I, I, I'm, I've come around. You had a recent experience. Yes. A couple of weeks ago, I tried one of the top sticks, uh, the new sticks out there, and and I was almost giggling as I was doing it, thinking about how much I'm going to have to eat crow on this after uh, railing on to you two about like what big difference does it make. But this this question, does it really impact the stopping of the puck, or is it all geared towards puck handling and playing the puck? Well, I think the 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 stopping part comes in two parts. One, it's lighter, noticeably lighter. So in theory, your blocker should be a little more reactive. In reality, it probably just tires a lot less, especially if you're old, out of shape like me, and you play for an hour and a half. I will take the, that much less weight in my hand for that hour and a half. Um, ironically, like it, it's interesting. Um, the couple of times I've ended up having to grab an old stick out of the garage and, and, and ended up... Well, actually, if I'm honest, I forgot to bring my sticks to a game this year. And so I had to buy a cheap sort of foam core wood thing from the pro shop. And it felt like I was carrying around a two by four. I was like, and I'm, we're spoiled, right? Like in goal, we we get to test the latest and the greatest. It's, you know, we have top end stuff that we get to take out there. I had to grab like a not so top end foam core stick. And I was like, oh my God, this thing weighs a ton and my arm is tired because I'm out of shape and I'm fat and I'm lazy and I noticed a massive difference. So stopping the pucks lighter. Um, Also, Darren, I think that the blade of the stick is more consistent and firmer in terms of steering low shots into corner. It's more consistent. Uh, It's, it's got less give to it. Uh, It's stiffer. It's stronger. There's a value there. It doesn't wear down over time. Like wood and foam core used to get soft around the edges. That's your value from uh, stopping the puck. But for the most part, the customizability, easy for me to say, customizability, that's a real word, um, comes in. <laughs> that's where you get it, the higher end ones. If you want an E-Flex, if you want to have a little more zip, a little more flex, E-Flex 4. I suck. I like an E-Flex 4 because I can zip it around, get it up, get it over sticks, get it off the boards and out. Um, I go to a Premier 2, for example, in the CCM model, which is their stiffer paddle. And it's more like I'm playing shuffleboard out there. I'm just moving it along the ice. I can get a little bit off the ice. But again, that's because I'm lousy. I go and we've tested it with Junior A kids. We had a kid from the AJ, uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, that tested it out last week. And for him, the E-Flex 4 was actually too flexible. Big, heavy, not heavy, but like strong, muscular kid. He wants that premier too. He can really lean into. And we heard the same thing from Merrick Bazanek this year when he's, he tested the E-Flex 4. Too much flex. So I think at the highest ends, what you're getting is almost like a player custom fitting his shaft and his flex points. You're getting a little more of adjustability and able to sort of fine tune what you want to the strengths of your game and how well you handle the puck. Yeah, and I I think, you know, the differences compared to the old days, wood, foam core, whatever, uh, you guys probably aren't old enough to have ever used pure wood. Um, You know, they're obvious. Buddy, I use granite. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, it the differences are absolutely obvious and apparent and using the modern stick is is incredible uh i was i was reminded as you were talking about warrior sticks there kev of the uh the warrior ritual stick when we first reviewed it had to be close to a decade ago now i can't remember how long ago that was and uh actually 
being amazed by how different the thickness of of the blade was. Uh, actually, went out and bought a micrometer so I could measure it because it uh, having that technology allowed them to make it so much thinner, not just for weight purposes. I noticed an extreme difference uh, just steering pucks up over the glass and how much more easy that was uh, with a modern stick. I, you know, I'm not sure as I'm. I feel you know, representing maybe the younger goaltenders and myself as a bad puck handler. I don't know if I can notice the difference between the high-end models today as much as I probably should. Although I think the thing that makes it really interesting is now that these tools are available to us, I think we can become a little bit more sensitive about what we're doing, a little bit more precise about what we're doing. And I really see it as actually an educational opportunity, a chance to really learn our craft a little bit more as puck handling becomes more and more prevalent in the game. The other piece, uh, Darren, uh, that I think is really important in terms of the weight is uh, with the youth goaltenders. It just makes it a whole lot easier for them uh, to, to move the stick around, not just in terms of the saves, but I think it makes puck handling a more realistic uh, skill for them to obtain at a younger age. Make, makes it possible even in this this most basic moves, right? Because yeah. they can actually lift it up and 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 put a puck uh, on that blade and and make it make you feel like you can do something with it. And I feel like we're just maybe at the beginning of of where this is all going. I mean, we can see the we can see the work that Bauer's putting into the aesthetics of the stick, but also that's a, a form follows function sort of thing. Um, and and we're starting to see different grips appearing on the sticks as well. Uh, I think the technology is, uh, in many ways, probably just at the beginning. It's going to be really fascinating to see where it goes over the next several years. Do you guys uh, do anything with your paddles uh, as far as a trigger grip or anything uh, custom? I, I put one, I cut one in uh, on on mine, but uh, it just makes slides my hand down a little bit further, which I saw from Bobrovsky, which is of all things, when I was doing a sideline game mm. one day, and I and I saw that, and so I thought I'd try it, and it just makes it a little bit easier. But how about you, uh, Woody? I know Hutch doesn't, uh, him shaking his head, but do you? No, nothing for me, mainly because uh, I'm not allowed near power tools. Uh, general rule in the house. Uh, last time I built something for the kids, I think the uh, family placed an over-under on trips to the emergency room at six. Was thankful to stay on the under on that one. Um, you can get them custom made like we see in the NHL guys, you know, and to me, that's the other thing, uh, Bauer Hutch, uh, you can custom order. You just need one and you can yep. custom order the new, no new two X with just a single order. And we uh, did CCM, that. And you did that. And I think CCM, it's an order of three. You can get custom. Yep. Um, so if you do get to the point where you're ordering like the NHL guys do a special trigger grip and stuff like that, um, you get it consistent from one to the other. Once you get your pattern dialed in, once you get your flex dialed in, once you have all that sort of figured out uh, and you start ordering in bulk and, hey, you get your name on it. I always like that. That's all, that, Let's be awesome. honest. doesn't matter yeah. what age you are. You like it, um, especially on twigs. Uh, to me, that's, you know, that's that's where that, that consistency is also going to be a big part of this equation. Um, so no trigger grip for me, but that that consistency... Uh, from the guys that do have it at the NHL level, and that consistency is something that's kept them. Mike Smith, for example, uh, it was an adjustment for him to go to uh, a composite stick from a foam. Why, why? What was that adjustment? Well, just getting used to it, just different. Like again, the w- the way it comes off when somebody passes it to you, or when you stop a rim, like it's a firmer um, blade. As much as that firmer blade helps get pucks off right. the and ice and steered into the corners. Yeah, like, you know, you're going to feel when you first get it, like it's popping off there quick. You might have to corral it back in. Um, So you have to sort of soften it and and sort of cradle it as it comes in a little more than you might have with a wood stick or foam core stick. 
Um, things like that take a little bit of adjustment. But what he really liked once he got used to, you know, the different feel, the different flex and the different weight was the consistency. And that's the one thing you heard at the NHL, like foam core had become really inconsistent. One batch to the next felt like different sticks. These guys get their specs now and it's dialed in from start to finish. And as we see these companies like CCM and I actually, to be honest, I don't have what Warriors minimum is on custom, um, but but I know it for, for Bauer on 2X is one. For CCM right now is three, you know, you get that dialed in at a young age and you can sort of stick with your specs and order bulk and, and know that you're getting a consistent product from one to the other. Okay, here's some uh, stick history for you. Did you ever see the aluminum goalie stick? And I don't know whether it was Easton that, that came out with it, but did, did Woody or Hutch, did you ever see it in person or or hold on to it that it's, noise you hear is hutch shaking his head no, no everything's rattling okay. around inside yeah you got I, us. uh you win I, I one time uh and i don't even know i was probably 13 to 15 uh in brandon at the keystone center we kings had practiced and and somebody had a had aluminum stick and it was it was all about durability at the time but it was too heavy and uh and it never caught on can't remember the manufacturer, but I actually did see it and watch them watch them test it. The other one was the Curtis Curve, Christian. The Curtis Curve. I used it. It was it, it was actually ahead of its time. Andy Moog was a big proponent of it. Uh, he used it in the National Hockey League. I don't know about anybody else whether Belfort did or not, but because he was a big Christian guy. But with that curve, uh, it with which put the shaft, uh, the handle of the uh, the stick on the ice if you went paddle down. And help was supposed to help you play the puck. Uh, Hutch, you're a little older. Did you use the Curtis Curve? Uh, <laughs> ne- no, never, never used it. Really? No, saw it, admired it. I no. There's, just... there, hey, there's a new one out there, Darren. It's kind of unique. We've we he's he stalked us on the internet. Seeing how you use the Curtis Curve, I think we'll definitely hook him up with you and and uh, send him your number. Oh yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hear about this after. I know I'm going to hear about it. Uh, better goalie, uh, better goalie sticks translates into better puck handlers. At least it should. But sometimes the skill of playing the puck is just a natural ability that's coaxed out from the back of the body and the back of the head somewhere after a gentle prodding from a hockey dad. If that hockey dad is a former Olympian, uh, that's exactly what happened with Martin Brodeur, who is transitioning to life back with the New Jersey Devils but is now working on the business operation side of hockey. In Goal Radio, the podcast, spent a fun, fascinating, and revealing morning in conversation with Martin Brodeur on Draft Weekend. So back-to-back drafts in Vancouver where, uh, well, not back-to-back, but two drafts in Vancouver out of three where you're on the stage. Yeah, exactly. What was, uh, what was that like? Well, the first one obviously was going to change my life, <laughs> you know, be, being selected uh, by the Devils in the first round. wasn't really expected to to go that high in the draft, and um, it was kind of obviously a nice surprise, and and uh, kind of had to learn what where was New Jersey at that time because <laughs> they could New Jersey call my name I'm like, hmm, where's New Jersey? You know, wasn't really too sure at the time. You know, I was young French Canadian guy that <laughs> never really get out get out of Quebec that much, so. How many drafts have you been to? Ooh, it's a good question. Probably, I would think. So when I got drafted in '90, uh, the Devils kind of brought me in to welcome the first rounders for a few years. 
And after that, I didn't go to any of the drafts for maybe 20 years or so. Yeah. And obviously working with the Blues, you know, I've been in the last four or five drafts now. What's your level going into it now is on the business side and then as opposed to hockey ops? Uh, a little bit different, less involved. Um, you know, I think on the hockey side, um, you know, part of my job in St. Louis was to to help the scouts kind of make their own decision and, and kind of clear a path of, of, of how the list would going to look and, and making sure that, um, you know, if they have question and they needed like a second opinion on certain things, I would fly into Europe or Saskatchewan or Dakota and I would just go in and, and give them my opinion on the players or take time and, and, and make research on you know some of the players that, that were on the list there. Now I don't, I don't. <laughs> so that's the big difference. So, so they they name they name the they name the some of the kids. I'm like I have no clue they are. Like I just see when you're not involved in hockey ops, it's a little little different. So what's your day like now? Well, my day obviously it's it's a lot more laid back than it used to be. I I do I li I still live in St. Louis, so I commute back to New Jersey about three days a week, and um, kind of this year's been a lear huge learning curve, like from you know, attending meetings from executive meetings. And, and we have a great opportunity for me to, to learn in New Jersey because on the business side, we don't just do hockey. You know, we run the building. Uh, so all the concerts, like from entertainment to musical or whatever, like we, you know, we have tons of act that goes through into, we have to deal with a lot of different people. We own uh, uh, the 76ers. So that's a, that's a basketball team. So obviously totally different in hockey yeah. when you start talking to the gms and the coaches and the president you know little different vibe and we have a gaming you know and then next thing you know we have a gaming team in dignitas so that's something it's new my kids love it <laughs> they think it's pretty cool that, that we have that uh we have a soccer team in, in um in the english premier league uh crystal palace so so when i sit in the meetings like it comes in from left and right and so that's what I, the learning curve for me it's hard because it's not just concentrated on on the business of hockey. It's the business of almost sport. So it's it's been really interesting, challenging a little bit. But I've been fortunate to to you know get the leadership of, of you Weber and, and Scott O'Neill and, and and I think every head of any every department have been so nice to me to include me on everything and and helping me. Well, you're my learner. I know. Still, they don't yeah. have to do it. You yeah. know, and and uh, I get it. And can you imagine showing up in a meeting and Marty's there? <laughs> speaking to you in third person but. yeah but it's, it's it's funny like you could tell i get sometimes i get a double look from people like, <laughs> what is he doing here <laughs> it sounds like you're enjoying it though like it's with been, that challenge yeah it's been great it's been great for me it's been great for my family it's the first time since probably i'm like 20 years old that i go through life without having to win or lose you know uh, it's it, you know when I was a player it was all about winning and losing all all year long that was my thinking when you're in hockey operation it's all about you know winning and losing and now I take a step back I want my team to win but I'm not involved like I don't have my hand in it right now so it's kind of nice Do you, you miss know? it or I miss it at times but I'm spending so much more time with my family that you know I never took time when I retired to settle down and relax and enjoy. My retirement, because yeah, I went from playing, retiring, being assistant general manager in Blues to, to now that now it's more of a laid back situation. So it's been great. It's been great. My family's, you know, all the boys and everything. It's been good.
We've seen the position translate into other roles and not just like other sports, like Brooke Henderson, right? The, uh, the Canadian golfer, um, acting, Keanu Reeves, Steve Carroll, businesses, former goalies, Ken Dryden in politics. Like we've seen former goaltenders have success in other walks of life at, at really high levels. And a lot of them sort of point back to their experiences in the position. Like, does it translate? Like, are there elements of what it was like to be a goaltender, whether it's mental preparation that you think translate to success in other areas? I don't know. You know, I, I think it's it's one of those things that as a goalie, like you, you a lot of time in your head, you know, like you, you sit there and you play 60 minutes. But un unless, you know, you, you go for like a TV timeout, like nobody's talking to you. So, you, you know, you got a lot of stuff that, that, that you can process and you make decision off of it. And then and you know, I always relate this goalie, you know, to be like, a, you know, a, like a pitcher or a quarterback, you know, like it's so you're so lonely out there and you just got to make it and you make it or break it all the time. Uh, and maybe a bit of that, I think, just because you know how to handle yourself, and you're probably a good judge of of character of people, and and how kind of understand just because you're so used to sit and process everything that's gonna happen in front of you, like being like the shot that you're gonna get, that's the end result of the play that's happening. So, like as a goalie, you know, you kind of see, and if you're able to read what's going on, you read everybody that that's coming at you, you're gonna be a step ahead of everybody, you know, and and so you just People concentrate on TV or anybody that's never played the position. You're, you're going to go and you're going to say, wow, what a save. But you know what? The, the reason why he made that save, like he probably knew that the guy, this is what the intention, right from whenever he crosses the blue line, you're able to read something. And that's what I think you have really good goalies. You have goalies that are just average, but they're good goalies kind of recognize everything. You see when he crosses the blue line, is he a lefty or righty? You know, like the tendencies of players. And so you kind of have a, good judge of, of situation. That's interesting you say that. We, we saw Spencer Knight go in the first round last night, and that's become a rarity. Uh, talking to him this week, I think I was more impressed with his off-the-ice stuff. And one of the things he talked about was playing forward as long as he could, but also playing the crosses of forward and the ability playing that sport to recognize those patterns and see how things develop cognitively and how that helps him as a goaltender. Like, we can go to goalie schools and watch like 20 kids that look like they could be NHL guys. But when the game starts, a lot of them don't. How do you, like, how would you teach a kid how to read the game? Like that read is so important. What do you think goes into it? You were so good at it. Yeah. Well, I, I think first, first of all, it's like you have to have a hockey sense. You got to know, you, you got to do your homework. So if you, if you understand the player that you're playing against, you're, you're going to be able to get in his mind like what he's going to do before he, he does it. It's it's your livelihood, especially like when you get professional. Like, if you don't make your do your homework on the players you play against, you're gonna fall behind. Like I was lucky in New Jersey. Like every team that came to play us, they would probably go play the Islanders or the Rangers before they played us, or a team. So I would be able to get get to watch the games and see. Like I always remember Kovalchuk. He was in Toronto against Toronto. He was Atlantic playing against Toronto, and there was a shootout. So he comes in and he makes this move and. He pulls, I think it was at Toskala that was there, the finished goalie. He makes a move. He kind of slides, and he just flips the puck, and Toskala just kind of slides away, and he can't reach the puck, and it goes in. So the next night, Atlanta's in town, and I'm sitting there, and there's a shootout. So I'm looking at the bench, and they're like all like, Little, I to say that, but like the little squirrely little girls talking to each other. Oh, you got to do it again. I knew that's what they were talking about. And so I came in and I, I give it to him the whole time and I pretend I was going to slide and I stopped and he just flipped it and I caught it like that. 
And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I won't say the words, but it's one of those things. It's like I made my own work. I knew that was a possibility. I recognize what they were talking about. And I'm like, all right, this is this is what's going to happen here. You know, it's one of those things that, that you know, that kind of stands out. You have to make, do your homework. Did you keep a book? Like, did it go that deep? Uh, my goalie coach did. So like, I would talk about it. And, and uh, like, I used like visualization to, pre to prepare a lot. So I figure, you know, I'm, I I knew the players so much, and 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 how how they played the game and where they their tendencies were, that when I closed my eyes before a game and and made about forty saves, obviously there's there's one of the you know it's like almost deja vu again. Like I, I would the guy would come in and I would see the situation before it happens because I played it in my mind uh, before, before the game or the, the night before, or just before the game when I was pre prep, uh, doing my preparation. Where did, where did that come from? Like, cause nowadays, like, I mean, we got mental coaches. We got, I mean, we got so many different coaches that the visualization, this, you do this for an hour, you do that. Like for you, was that taught or was that just something that it you just, did? I just did. And it's funny, like you know, going to, let's say team Canada or doing anything lots once, once in a while, I, I would have, uh, like a you know like a sports psychologist come across and they would do like a half hour talk not that i believed in it not that i was going to go see the guy but i listened you know like i didn't i wanted to do everything by myself i didn't feel that like for me like to you know to to go in into a situation that well i need this guy like once a week like for me like i had to say it, it's not the right way but i felt like a weakness i wanted to take in what he's going to say and let me do it on my own you know and so i picked up everything it's the same way with my goalie style the way i, I stop the puck i look at dominic Hasek. you know everybody couldn't figure out what he's gonna do but you know i kind of looked at what worked for him and i tried to put in felix Podvin, patrick Wall, like everybody i was not like I, i'm a product of everybody because i want to be what the did best you take from dom is the, his ability to keep his eye on the puck like he looked really erratic at times but if you really look at it his eyes were always on the puck even though he would go like that you could tell like I, I would watch him in warm-ups or whatever and, and every time he was doing something like the puck was he would look at the puck hit, hit himself so his 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 reaction time was unbelievable because he never lost sight of the puck ever and a lot of goalies are, are looking through the puck now you know i i coached you know a little bit in st louis and and you could tell that was one of the big things like with, with jake allen like a lot of it it was like pucks were coming in and it's like it, it goes right through him and you're like you watching the puck here? Like, what's going on? Like, you gotta, you gotta, you know. I know you're big. I know you're, you're, you're. You know, I'm just not saying. I'm just. It's an example for Jay because I, I have a lot of respect for him the way he plays the game. But a lot of goalies are not looking, and so they react after the fact instead of reacting when when the puck hits you. And that's how you feel the puck. That's how you control the puck because you see, you see the puck hitting you. And Dominic was really, really good at that. I was going to ask about that time coaching. And what other lessons could you bring as a player when the game had changed? The way Jake played was quite a bit different yeah. than the way you played. Uh, in that initial transition, what did you bring into that role? That There's, there's two things I worked with Jake. Um, a lot of it was uh, being ready for a shot, even though the shot was not coming. I needed, I needed him to be engaged right away from the goal line. Whenever they crossed the red line, I wanted him to be engaged, get ready for a shot when the guy cross the red line and by the same token when you get ready you start reading the play more he was to me at the time he was standing up not not really paying attention and whenever the shot came in 
or the, the chance came in, that's where he was he was getting himself ready. So he was in and out all the time, uh, like even though with his eyesight, with everything. So I wanted him to have his stick like I said, whenever they so you get you need to be ready when it's at the red line. Make sure your stick is on the ice when he crosses the blue line. And so now you feel the ice, you feel like your strength with what you have. It, it's simple stuff. But they lose it because they play a different way. And and my other one was being square to the puck. You know, like a lot of goalies have issues with 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 shots that are are coming in from the side and stuff. And you could tell guys are not really comfortable. So I always say, like we talked about the blue note, to make sure like it's square to the players that, that has the puck. So whenever whenever you feel that your your chest is not square, this is where you just gotta turn your shoulders all the time. You know, and then just by doing that, you just kind of got more and more confident, never thought about the second play. Just make sure that first play doesn't happen on you. If he passes, you'll, you're good enough, you're mobile enough that you'll get there. And it's a trust. Like sometimes they don't trust themselves to be able to get to the, to the rebound or get to the, the pass across. So um, that's one thing we worked hard. And, and you know what? Like it, he, he was unbelievable at it. Like, and I had to tell him, but it was like a reminder every single day. And that's the way I was. Like my goalie coach would remind me about how I played the game every Which single day. Which coach was that? Jacques, Jacques Perron. Okay. And he was, to this day, like he, he you know, he's, he's, he's 80 now. Like he calls me up and he's going to, did you see that goalie? <laughs> you know, he just, it's just like, we've talked about it. I remember, like it'd be so easy yeah. for him to do this, that's this, you know. So it's kind of, he's the really passionate guy and I was fortunate to have him around. And But every day, you know, like we've went through, what I need to be to be successful and just the, the way we went about our business. That's all fantastic stuff. I wonder, um, we have a whole lot of goalie parents that listen to this and, uh, and read the magazine. What did you pick up as a goalie parent? Your, your two boys being pretty high level <laughs> goaltenders. Uh, what did you pick up as a goalie parent? What do you think you did? Well, what might you do a little differently? Uh, you know, I do, do you think like my, my kids learned to play the position when I was active in the NHL. So I, didn't give him enough time I'd love, I would have loved to be around them a little bit more but I just I had my own career so it was kind of hard I was traveling all over the place um I, you know I enjoy and, and I'm it's funny like I let my kids get teach by everybody like I don't like I don't really care like my Jeremy has his own goalie coach and and I talk to him a little bit but I don't really talk about the way they the style because for me, my strength was all in my head, you know, the way I saw the game, the way I approached the game. And that's what I'm trying to kind of teach these guys when they were younger, how to prepare yourself to give you a chance to, to be successful. But you got to let the people that, that are around your kids be able to help them and then not be too, too much of a, especially in my case, it, it, it'd be hard for to, to get in and, and the goalie coach as well. I can't do it. Sorry, it's your dad, you know, like, and, that's, so I, and I make sure everybody's comfortable. In, in doing their job you know my first time ever coaching ken dryden's son was on the team that's a little intimidating as a coach <laughs> exactly uh, so you obviously didn't have a whole quite as many of those car rides home because you're on the on the on the road but but they must have phoned you up sometimes after tough games and oh yeah and and, well, and what's Jeremy that conversation like your last year <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's you know i always uh, you know i always go back to say well the way I dealt with not the non-success or, or some of the slump I had was like, can I, am I, am I able to say that I left, like I have no regrets after the game. Whenever I was able to say that to myself, I was able to erase the game. And 
if I felt that, you know what, I didn't fight through that puck through traffic, you know, now, now that's, that's why I'm not stopping the puck. That's why I'm not lucky right now. And so I'm a really good self-evaluator of, of your own game. So, just, so that these are the questions I would ask, you know, Jeremy or anything like, how'd you feel like, like in warm up, like how, like how did it go this morning? Like what'd you eat this afternoon? Like all, all everything preparation, because I believe that when you prepare the same way, you know that at night, you know how you're going to feel. But if you don't prepare the same way every time and people say, well, you know, it's a weird goalie or whatever, but you know what, to me, it's like, you know, exactly. It's I ate the same thing. I would try to sleep the same amount of hours. So knowing when game time came in, I knew how I was going to feel. But if you eat different food, if you sleep different patterns, you, you don't know how you're going to end yourself. And so these are kind of things that, that I talk to my kids about. Warm up. Would you, would you try and stop the puck and warm up or get a feel for the puck? There's people are. Well, I was trying that. to stop everything. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm in that, don't be scoring on me. <laughs> That's just the way I saw it. You know, I was like, I, I, it's funny because I played. Some guys don't care. Yeah. They're just. Like, yeah. But it, it's funny the way it works. Like if you look at warm ups back in the day when we played, I probably took half the shots. Now, you know, I was in St. Louis and I was backing up a little bit like Jake Allen when, when I retired. If I would get, or even when Corey Schneider came over, it, you know, I would get like three shots and warm-ups if I didn't play the game. I couldn't believe how much these guys are into their warm-ups. Compared for me, it was just just get loose, have fun with it. That would, it would chirp a couple guys, then they're trying to score, and and that's it, you know. And we like we gambled, like we did everything just just to just have fun with it. And so, but the new generation, it's crazy how much more time they spend in warm-up. How too much? I think I think so. I'm like, like, so, like you don't need like 70 shots in a warm up to, to get ready. Like, they just it's crazy. Like, Say something yeah. for the game, right? Yeah, no, exactly. But uh, again, they don't move much. They just go down. <laughs> you know, they they don't really try every single shot, but they just stay in the net a lot. You know, does that bug you? Does the new style and it, and it's a, well, it bugged me because like, let's say I didn't play for a, you know two weeks, and next thing you know, I get into a warm up, I get two shots and. You know, he doesn't do too well. I got to jump in there. It's like, seriously? Like, I'm 40 years old here. Like, I'm going to stretch it out a little bit. <laughs> Who do you like to watch now? Like, we, it's funny because we saw while you were playing the evolution towards a butterfly. And now all we hear is the importance of holding your feet, yeah. patience on your skates. Like, how have you seen it evolve? Are there guys that you like to watch? Are you seeing signs of things you used to do in the game more and more? Uh, a little bit, but you could tell. Like, I, I like the goalies that have huge workloads. You know, I, I, I like Bobrovsky. Really fun goalie to watch. Uh, I like Vasilevsky too. Like this year was really impressed me. Uh, there's so many really good goalies now. Uh, it's just it, it's a different. It's obviously a totally different game than when I played. Uh, I think the importance of having a, a backup goalie that's able to play now is really really important. Uh, they're good. Like I'm like some of the saves they make, the the way they move across. Like don't ask me to like push and stuff the way like I I never done that. And sometimes like after I retired, like I would play with my little guy and I would try to do it. I was like, Gee. it's funny. Like Jim Corsi was the goalie coach and we were making drills around like you know around the post and stuff. And I was doing my old way and he's like he was shaking his head like, Marty, like you sure you can't do that? I go, no, I can't do that. All right. Like, it, <laughs> We're buying time here. Like it's almost over, so it's, I'm not changing. <laughs> yeah, no, no reverse VH or yeah, all no, that kind no, of stuff. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, 
something I've never had the opportunity to talk to you about. Your TV timeouts, put the mask up and you skate around. What, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? Are you escaping from the game and just looking in the stands? And so this is, we came up with a plan to, um, with my goalie coach, how to uh, get in and out of the game. You know, we feel that, that, that focusing for 60 minutes or 20 minutes at a time is too much. Uh, and that's why you have breakdowns in your game. That's why your your concentration cannot be 100% all the time. So you got to take the breaks and and really get out of the game. So for me to take my mask, drink a bit of water, walk around. And if you really, really look, I would like, like, uh, deep, like take deep breaths all the time. Like overdo it, you know, like almost like I was like out of breath, you know. The reason why you do that is because like any sports any good athletes when you perform you got to be able to breathe when you don't breathe it's hard to react it's so think about putting if you get yourself like a like a three-footer and you stop breathing next thing you know it's a little harder when you get a fourth liner it's getting the puck in the slot next thing you know and they, they, they they're kind of stiff up and but they're good players they just go about their business breathing and take the puck and shoot in the, the empty net and the goalie's the same way. When, when the chance comes, a lot of goalie will stop reading. And next thing you know, you get tunnel vision because you, you don't have the, any awareness around you. And so for me, it was just a reminder. Every time I would skate, I would get out of the game, take deep breath. And the next thing you know, now you, 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 know, you, you feel it. You know, and just, all right, this is where I am. This is the situation. Pressure, no pressure. And that's, that's why between TV technology, you always saw me skate around. You never went to the stayed. bench? You just... No, never. And it's funny, like I, I learned that from watching. And again, I have tons of respect for the guy and he, he was, he's a Hall of Famer and everything. Uh, it was Eddie Belfort. There was in the playoffs just before we played Detroit. I was watching Detroit, Chicago, and it was in overtime. And he, I saw him at his position at the dot before the puck was dropped. And he was just locked into that face off and didn't move. And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't believe like every time, like they showed, because there was no commercial. They just kept, kept showing him just waiting for the puck and stuck in position. Like center ice face off. No, uh, or, uh, in, in zone. zone. Okay. And I was like sitting there, I'm like, that's crazy. And a couple of times, like, just like long shots, like he, he almost like lost the concentration because he was so focused for a long period of time. Eventually you got to break. Like eventually you got to, you know, you got to take a break from concentration. And, and when that comes in and the puck's in the zone or there's a, a bad shot coming in and you let it go. Like, I just, it's funny. I saw that. I'm like, I can't, this is way too much. There's no way I could concentrate that much for that long at the same time. And it's kind of one of those things. Like, I saw a goalie do it. I'm like, uh, that's, that's weird to me, you know. Um, the three-foot putt, though, not breathing, that's difficult to do with Panger talking the whole time. Yeah, but he, he makes money though off of it. He does. <laughs> I play a lot of golf with Banger, so it's 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 been a great relationship since I've been in St. Louis. But what a, what a character that guy is! Can't believe what's, you what's play your, hockey. What's your cap? I know it is it is amazing. Uh, what's your cap to his cap? Do you give him strokes or does he get? Uh, do you get strokes? Uh, actually, he gives me strokes. He probably gives me two strokes now, and slowly, like, his season's gonna start. So he's probably going to give me three or four strokes because <laughs> he, he had a lot of work this year uh, with, uh, with with playing in uh, all of the Stanley Cup finals. Not playing, but covering it. 
How much is like you've mentioned it a couple of times watching other guys. And I think a, I think a lot of people as we watched your career and enjoyed your career talked about your ability to read the game and we thought it was maybe innate, you know, just this thing that he did. But you really did study. Like how much did you watch other hockey? Because I talk to guys now and they don't watch other teams. There's not a lot of them. Like some goalies do, but most of them are kind of like, you know, when I'm not playing, I'm not watching. It's how much it was just watching other teams a part of your prep? Oh, huge, huge. And and also too so I, I I learned a lot about the people that I played against, but I learned a lot about how I played. So I would watch my own games a lot and dissect it with my goalie coach. And it's not all about, you know, the goals you get scored. It's how I made my save, how I played the puck, the chance of communication that I didn't talk somewhere. Like, and you could tell. And my goalie coach was like, what did you, did you know that the, the defenseman wanted the puck there because I played it there? It's what made a mistake or whatever. So we dissected our game, and I would do that every, every, uh, just before I went on for warmups. I would sit with my goalie coach and take about like four or five minutes and go to the last game I played. I would do every single shot that came towards me. And, you know, I had a chance. My, uh, my goalie coach was, and you got to, the head coaches were really good about it. Like my goalie coach came to me every single period, he would come up down. And sit and how do you feel? This is what I think. We, how are you looking? You're looking great. Looking this. He would say, you know what? I know I, I saw that you got, got flat footed there. Like, just be aware. You know, that's what they want to do. You know, like a, the backdoor pass or, or whatever. Like, and it, it just kind of keeps you going every single game. And, is and that normal that the goalie coach comes to the no. goalie? No. I was going to say, that must be an incredible amount of trust yeah. between you two because most yeah. goalie coaches, yeah. they worry about too much information. Yeah. Yeah, and and so he would say, and like we, I, we, me and him created my game together. So I trusted him. Like, and sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't feel good when the guy's behind the net. Like, I just can't find the guy. He goes, well, just relax a little bit. You know, like make sure, make sure you do this, you do that. And we had all little things to adjust. And I would get scored a couple goals in a week a certain way. I would just make practices on that one play, just to get comfortable with this because I'm like, you know, I just don't like this. Like I just, I, I know I, when he got the puck, I just, I knew I couldn't get there. And so next thing you know, we would make it in practice. And like, I was lucky. Like I played, played, you know, I had the faith of the organization and I decided the way I was going to practice. The coach really didn't, didn't dictate much. If I decided to practice 20 minutes, my goalie coach would go to Jacques Lemaire or Pat Burns or Larry Robinson and say, Marty's going to be there for 20 minutes. He'd like to work on this. And that's it. After that, take the other goalie, do your drills, you know. And, and so I was really fortunate, you know. Not many goalies had that's ahead of, ahead of your time on that on that one for sure. And that the, the leeway, you know. And and I always love to practice, but on my own terms. <laughs> <laughs> Did you laugh when the guys uh, were talking about the reduction in the chest and arm this year because of what y- yeah. what you used forever? Yeah, I know. Twelve years that yeah. one last. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what? It's it's funny. I always I was part of the you know the competition committee at one point too, and and it and I know the NHL why they put me there, but yeah, I understand like the goalies like the big thing is all about safety. If it's safe, and everybody wears the same thing, I'm okay with it. Like it doesn't matter if the net is bigger. Like it's it's, it's bigger for everybody. It's not like one guy doesn't. And same thing with a chest protector. I just always wanted to. To have equipment proportional to your body. I didn't feel like a, a goalie that's 5'10 should be as big as a goalie that's 6'5. You know? 
And at times, that's what they look like in in my day, anyway. Now it's a lot different. Yeah, I think we're getting there. Yeah, I think we're. I think I was talking to Kay with more yesterday. I mean, a lot of goals are scored now. Hockey, and it, you know what? It's not. A, it was not about the equipment. It was about the way the game was played in front of us. You know, it was about like not letting a guy shoot the puck and getting hooked and 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 and, and just interference and and don't have time to do anything. Now kids are, or the players are coming in and they're coming at full speed because they're not getting hooked. They're not getting their, their you know, slash on their stick because it's going to be a penalty. Like players learn to play the game to kind of funnel guys into an area. But these guys now, they could really work their skill to score goals. And so you could see the, how many more goals are scored on pure skill compared to before. You have to really work hard or get th- those dirty goals, you know? Do you think any of these guys today recognize that they have you to thank for the inner calf wrap still being a part of the equation in the NHL? Like, yeah, do you think these guys know that? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Do you guys know the story? So because Marty used to still make saves with that inside part of the leg, and you, I remember looking at photos, and it'd be just covered in pucks. But the new generation doesn't do that, right? It's all yeah. the face of the pad. The NHL during one of the, I think, 04, 05, right? They wanted to actually remove a whole bunch of that calf wrap. But because Marty still used it to make saves, they had to keep it. And now this whole generation, they kind of forgot about it, and they've all got this piece of equipment thanks to Marty, all the butterfly guys. He <laughs> saved all the butterfly guys. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's one of those things. It's, it's funny. It's like the way the back then was the way they wore their equipment. You know, when now when you go into butterfly and everything's perfect, your five hole is covered and everything. Back then, the only way you could do that is you, you couldn't strap up your pads really hard. So you had guys like Patrick Laleem, like pads were dangling that Sebastian Caron, like his pads were like almost not on his leg. And when he would go down, like it became perfect butterfly. Now the technology changed and now you wear any pads, you just almost press a button and you go on a butterfly. <laughs> it's a lot different, but it's, it's one of those things like uh, we were there. It's a one thing too, I think it was with Luongo at one point, uh, his blocker on both sides was as wide same size it didn't matter if you had a stick on the ice or not because now they they had started to have the blocks between their their knees so they didn't really need to have a stick on the ice so they figure it's a lot easier if i'm able to turn my hand and play like that so you could bat it you can make save with the inside of your blocker so they needed protection so next thing you know it's like it was two blockers in one hand because it didn't matter if it was like this or like that it was the same thing and they had the stick so like the nhl like at one point like guys were creative with their equipment you know and so Obviously, they needed to make some changes and some guidelines. And I think the NHL did the right thing to a certain extent. It, to me, it was all about safety. I know we went from, a, they went at one point, they wanted a 10-inch pad. And that became a problem with the guys that didn't tie up their pads a lot. The outside of their knees were exposed. And so that became, like, a lot of guys were complaining. Like, it's like, well, yeah, we're trying it. We don't mind it. But, like, we're going to get hurt here. And so we kind of did the compromise from 12 to 11. I think it's still 11. Yeah, it's still 11. Yeah. So. And that you were probably part of that discussion too. And I mean, I think the worst thing we ever did as goaltenders was name the cheater the cheater, right? And I remember oh, I was, yeah, that little thing yeah, there. Yeah, and I think they made a glove, but the problem was they were actually worried about thumb safety, right? Because when they took it away, the, the glove didn't have enough support. But yeah. it sounds like we're getting to the point now with technology where we can build one where we, where we don't, maybe don't need that. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's 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 going to change. But like I said, like we're fine. The goalies are fine right now. I mean, they're really, really good, and they're still getting exposed because of the game. The game is so good now, and the NHL is, is good. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna make any changes in the goalie equipment for a little bit now until the goalies dominate again. But yeah, but I, like right now, if if they enforce it, 
didn't do the right things and, and goalies you got to educate them the athletes right the goalies are unbelievable athletes now you know and they they're they're good and they're they're playing in a tough environment compared to what i think i had but i know every, every generation would say that you know every time you move up like technology game things are changing uh but it, they're, they're they're fun to watch were you a gear guy growing up Like, do you have memories of first sets or things like that that so my, sparked the interest? Yeah, so so my dad, my dad was a sports photographer, and he he, he worked for the Montreal Canadiens and the Expos, and so he was really involved. And and um, when I started to be a goalie, like somebody asked me to be a goalie at, in the second team, I just decided to say hey, I'll try it. My dad was all excited because he was a goalie himself, playing the Olympics and all that. And so uh, my mom was like, hey, "You're too good. You score too many goals. Like, why you want you, you want to be a goalie?" And I'm like. I don't know, I want to play on two teams. I didn't care. So anyway, so I just I became a goalie. And so uh, at one Christmas, like my dad, my dad used to work, you know, for, for different companies. And so uh, DN, uh, DNR, Daniel Roland, uh, it was a big, big uh, client of my dad. And so my dad traded pictures for my first goalie set. And that's why if you look at some of the pictures when I played in the NHL my first year at DNR pads. And uh, so that's kind of the connection of my first equipment. It was all everything was always Daniel Roland, and I had the in junior hockey. I played with those those laser pads, you know, those big like the foamy ones. Um, and so that's what like Grant Fuhr became my idol because he was playing with that equipment, you know. And so that's that's kind of my story about my the gear stuff that I have. You told me once, actually, it's funny because you've mentioned Jacques Caron a lot in this interview, and you told me once I remember that. You were a butterfly goaltender junior. You just mentioned playing in junior. And I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. They actually kind of maybe evolved after getting drafted with Shaw. Is that, yeah. like, am I, I got that right? Still? Yeah. No, no. I was more of a butterfly when I played junior. You know, we had no choice. Like, we all looked at Patrick Paul. This, this is what the, the, this guy was our idol. Like, he's the guy that made it in the NHL and became like a, in like in 86. And so, Turn around like my junior years are 87, 80. And so I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, wow, he's, he's just a few years away from me. And he's like dominating the NHL. I'm like, he must be doing something great. So I, I was more of a butterfly, not as much as, as probably Patrick at the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Jacques Ron, like to me, was, was it kind of, he, he put how athletic I was, he, he kept it in my game and I never became a robot. That's the way I call it a little bit. And I, he gave me a chance with the system, the, 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 the way to play, the ability to skate. I was a great skater. Not to play forward, but I was really agile with my feet. And so we used that into my own style. And like I said, like we would just incorporate stuff. Like having to paddle down, like, you know, from shot from the points, you know, not goalies don't do that anymore. But Felix Padre was doing that. And he had that big run. And we're like, and how many times he the plays died because he you know he, he wasn't seeing the puck next thing you know he had to paddle down the puck would hit it just die there and, and and cover it up and i'm like wow this this is working i got to do this in my game you know and so you kind of pick up stuff like that uh marketing now you're in business the business side now mb30 like you were one of the first guys with 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 a real brand where did that come from and how much how conscious are you of it it's it's one of the things i, I think we've Get a big following with people and stuff, and it's like I, you know, I had a couple of my buddies. I said, well, I'm sure like you know, if we do something with 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 our with your initial and your, your number 30, like it, it, it's gonna catch. And and it's funny, like business wise, like we, it's not something we did really well or anything, but I think it created a lot of awareness for my my own personal brand, and like people relate to me as like MB30. Like I I got people calling me MB30 or MB. Is that your nickname? 
Yeah, Don. What was your nickname? Mar- yeah, everybody's Mar- Marty. Just Marty. Yeah. So there was no yeah. real. Nah, no. So no, it's not really. I don't remember really uh, the the you know people calling me a different name, but Shooter, shooters a- probably called you a few different names over the years. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there a side of the business that you're interested in most going forward now that you're transitioning to that role? So, so there's a lot. I, I work on a lot of different projects. I think what I like to, to see happening in New Jersey, it's it's really like the the youth and 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 the fan awareness of our brand. And so I've been really involved with 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 youth hockey, with the grassroots and some of the community rinks because we're in a special area. Like it, it's funny, like you, you guys here are we're in Vancouver. It's all about the Canucks. Go to Calgary, it's all about the flames. But when you go to New Jersey, like we have the Islanders, we got the Rangers, we got the Knicks, we got like there's so many other options. And so we we have to really create like and, and we've done it a lot with with having the success, but now we're kind of transitioning into a different different devil era. And now, you know, yesterday we're having the first pick overall with with Taylor Hall, with Nico Isher. The wave is coming. And so I wanna I wanna make sure that we're ready when we're gonna be good. To be everywhere in New Jersey and have that that awareness. So that's one thing that that I I'm working hard with with the people in the office to to get out there and and kind of understand like it's coming. You know, it's coming for the organization. Uh, we'll wrap it up here because I, every time I say that, he's got two more. So uh, <laughs> the Devils are fun now. Like they were successful and amazing in your era. Fun now, right? Like it's, it's it's fast. It's it's, it's a different culture. It's, it's yeah, it, like corporately everything. Yeah, everything. We're we're at a, we're at a good place, and I think it's funny a little bit because I left for four and a half years. I came back, and I mean our fans are they 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 stuck with us. They stuck with the Devils with, with the team, and that's something that it's hard to do when you don't have success. Like we didn't make the playoffs for a long time. We made it two years ago, barely on the one point. Last year we didn't make the playoffs, but now that we see a lot of good things. The games are exciting. I've been I've been watching Devils when I was with the Blues because I was so focused on on doing my my own job. But now I said the whole year and I watched probably eighty percent of the home games live, and I always had a blast. The the speed, the like the like how how they generate offense, and obviously like our goaltending was just okay, and it's gonna get better. And uh, like we're we're at the right spot. Like the coach is likes. I like the intensity that he makes the players play. I think Ray's gonna do like anything. We're all competitors. Enough's enough. Now it's time for us to turn the corner and start winning games a little more consistently. Um, you know the organization, the building, the, the the fan experience in our building is it's been like night and day from when I play to now. And being involved in it, it's kind of nice to see all the effort that the organization is making into when the fan walks in the rink, like how's his experience. And, uh, and we do really care about that. And, you know, I've got a chance. I've never interacted with fans. Really. I said, hi, and sent autographs before. Now I'm able to talk to people, you know, it's a little different, you know, and I still don't go in the masses. Like I don't, I don't go yeah. in the ball, but <laughs> I still talk to them a little bit more than I used to. And uh, the feedback that we have is, is excellent. So like last night we had a draft party. We had like almost five thousand people outside of Newark, outside our building, watching, uh, watching, um, you know, Jack getting name and uh, the reaction, like the enthusiasm that we had from our our, our fan base is, is tremendous. You know, I think uh, this morning it's, uh, Jillian just sent me something, and we have a big billboard with 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 Jack Hughes you know, somewhere down the shore, you know, and it's you know we're we're the 
Julian's our marketing girl. She does. She does all the good stuff. <laughs> Any more? Well, I mean, you, you, yes, you kind of gave me the. Name. <laughs> I, just, I, I gave you the green light. I gro- gave you the green light. There was one story that, and and I've shared it through Ingol through past interviews, but to hear you tell it in person because you talked about your dad and the role he played. You changed the game literally with your puck handling. They 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 wrote a rule because of your puck handling. But if you could share with our listeners, like I said, it's a story we've I've told before, but the source of that, the root, when your dad came home after watching somebody else handle the puck and how that all progressed to you changing the game, handling the puck. Yeah, well, th- this is this is something that that uh, it, it just kind of just happened. My my dad, like we've talked about, he's a sports photographer. Just worked every home game in Montreal and, and take pictures. And obviously, he was a goalie, so you always, as a goalie, I, I'm sure you always pay attention to goalies. <laughs> they should. That was my problem with scouting. As like I, I was in Washington game, I was watching the goalies all the time. I was like, <laughs> all right, I got to figure out. There's defensemen and forwards here. Uh, but anyway, so my my dad came back home, and uh, after uh, you know. Ron Ekstall uh, first came on the scene and uh, was playing the puck like crazy. He was like a third defenseman. And so he, he came back home and he said, he was, he was Marty, he goes, you really got to take a look at this guy. Like It's unbelievable how effective he was in that game, how he he was able to break up plays and, and, and create great offense from, from making the right plays and clearing pucks and doing all stuff. And I kind of watch it and I'm like, wow, that looks fun. You're 13, 14. 12 yeah so what are you, 87, 87 yeah around yeah. that no i was a little yeah i was i was in midget probably just before midget triple a and um I, it just looked fun and so i you know my dad went up and went to the sports store bought some orange puck the plastic glass and it put that and next thing you know i just started shooting pucks and you know i always wanted to be a forward so for me making plays or when i played street hockey i was always like the highest scorer and making passes and everything so that offensive part i had it done but now i just needed to kind of build up strength to shoot the puck with with goalie gloves and it's it's different mm-hmm. and it, it's funny like it, just a kind of side story when i so nobody really said anything to me in new jersey because i always i was always playing and i played the puck and the way i shoot the puck with, with my glove like low and i came in and jordan biddington was there my first day i came in because he was got called up to back up Jake Allen because Brian Elliott was hurt. And both of them are got the hand up on, on the stick the way they shoot. And everybody, yeah. like yeah. Marty Turco was probably the first one to do it. And I, he goes, you still shoot like that? They, they were like amazed that yeah. I was like, well, I don't know how to shoot the other way. So to just handle the puck and doing everything. And uh, But that's one thing. I, I worked really, really hard at, at playing the puck. Uh, you know, first of all, like, Whenever I got scored a goal in, in practice, that puck was never staying the goal. I never wanted a, go- a puck in, in my net. So I would, I would shoot it back. I would always make plays. I would try to find my goalie coach when plays were on the other side. My goalie coach would pop up at the pile and I would just like fire, like just a pass right at him. Just the stuff like that. I, but I, I'm telling you, I've done it so much. So when, when, you, when you get good at something, there's a reason for it. You got to work hard at it. How far outside the right post would you aim? If you're aiming for the net, I I usually go yeah just because the, the way I shot the puck it was from the heel to 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 the middle of the stick you know so the the spin would would always kind of want to go away like and that's probably why I have a slice on with my driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, and <laughs> you took that really deep. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that's actually no no I'm thinking about it. that's probably why. <laughs>
but yeah, you always, I was always aiming at like, uh, I would look at the right posts and that, that would be my aiming because I figure it probably moves a, a good six feet by the time it gets there on the ice when it lands and it's going to start curling that one way just because of the spin I put up to put on it. So thank you. Yeah. The only other one was the draft. Oh, just we oh. talked, we talked draft. We're here at the draft to wrap it up. The one story you never told all those years of not being at the draft. You did go to one. How special was it to, to be a part of having your son drafted? Oh, that was uh, that was crazy. You know, we were in New Jersey, so that and then my son was up for the draft, like out of uh, Shadok St. Mary's, and and uh, just the feeling of, of like I see people say, "This is the first time you 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 called somebody." I go, "No, Jack's pretty cool." But as my other my when I called my son, that was really cool. <laughs> and so the uh, the time that 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 Luke called me, I was up in the in the in the suite, and he says, "Hey, come down. I think we're we're gonna pick Anthony." He needed to make a trade to get an extra pick in the seventh round. And uh, as I went down and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to greet him. I didn't think he, and he, he put the mic, he goes, all right, you announce it now. And I was like, oh, you know, and so I got the chance to, to call his name and uh, just to see him come down the the, the, the stands with, with all our families was there with him. And, you know, he came over, gave me a big hug. Like, it was it was pretty special. Okay, my, my wrap up then. You've had an incredible depth of information here for for goaltenders and the mental side of the game is you are obviously miles ahead of everybody else it's fantastic hypothetically if there was a 12 year old goaltender sitting across from you what's your advice well my advice is it's it's like don't don't be stubborn about your game you know like nobody knows what to do you know you have to learn from everybody and i think if you're able to to grab on and and pay attention pay attention to how how other people are successful and see if you could do it sometimes your body or your mental game not it's not going to give you and so there's things it's it's okay to say hey this is not working for me but you know what but this might and it's you got to evolve with the game you know because within two or three years what you do it's going to be outdated you got to evolve like i played I played for 22 years, so think about like the gener- even for me, like I fought it as much as possible the, the the way the pads were made. Like I was played with a certain kind of pads, and at the end, I'm like, I was getting tired to see the other guy, in, in, you know, across from me getting a shot in his five on the puck wouldn't go in. I'm like, how come he didn't go in? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I need these pads now. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> I need to take an edge somehow. But that's how you get your edge. It's like you understand your game and understand that it's working for somebody. It might work for you. So not not be stubborn about your game. Great wrap up. Talking goaltending is not bad, eh? You don't do it a lot. No, not anymore. No. Uh, but that's good, though. Yeah. It's fun. Thanks, Marty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Uh, thanks to the Devils for setting that up. Uh, it is an interview that's really worth listening to a couple of times with the stories and the philosophies that kids, parents, and men's leaguers can all take and, and put into our own hockey lives. And there's, there's a story uh, that, that came out when we were just talking after the interview, and it was uh, Marty discussing about going to work. And his dad came home after watching an NHLer one day, and the NHLer had scraped his crease and did it with passion and, and vigor and intensity. And the Denny Lemieux, or Denny Brodeur, Denny Lemieux uh, from Slapshot, uh, Denny Brodeur said to Martin, like, when you go to work, go to work. Like, are you going to scrape your crease, laissez-faire, or are you going to do it with with uh, a real purpose? And and that 
sort of mindset of getting into the game and being focused and and starting right then. So that that caught me. Uh, the other part was uh, was simply the warm up stories, how the goalies backup goalie never gets any shots and. Looking through the puck, what Marty Berger was talking about there, and Woody, maybe you can just expand on that. What he what he meant when he was saying Jake Allen was looking through the puck. Well, I mean, I, it's funny. I, I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth in terms of you know tracking and some of the modern stuff we talk about tracking. But like the reality is, and despite a lot of people outside going, imagine the absurdity of thinking that telling a goalie at the NHL level to watch the puck could could actually work. There's a real, there's a difference between sort of looking at it and actually seeing the puck, um, you know, really seeing it coming at you versus seeing it around your periphery. And there are very few goalies that can actually play well in their periphery. Brayden Holpe is one of them, incredible periphery vision. Um, but there's there's a lot of goalies in the NHL that don't watch puck. Like I, I said it for years with Jacob Markstrom here in Vancouver. People are like, what's wrong? With him? He doesn't watch the puck. Like, he just doesn't watch the puck. Like it's. You watch a video, break it down like it's underneath his sight. Um, he reacts late to it. Like there's just, he doesn't watch the puck. And if you look at his breakout last year, Ian Clark would tell you the same thing. It was the first thing he wanted to fix in him. He doesn't watch the puck. And to have Marty come in and, and I heard Jake Allen that year talk about that in terms of how he looked at the puck, how he watched the puck, and whether he was truly looking at it or just in the general vicinity. Um, and Jake's a guy who reads the play really well and sometimes anticipates based on things like hand position blades and things like that. And that's a skill, but you can become too reliant on it to the point where if you're anticipating, you're not actually tracking. And there are a lot of goalies even today that don't really, really track the puck. And it seemed like Marty recognized the difference between the two, uh, especially with Jake in the early going there. Hutch, were you surprised at how much he was aware about all the other goaltenders that, that played in his era from Patrick Laleem to, uh, Ed Belfour, uh, Dominic Hasek, and and we we've all emulated our heroes, but he did it as a National Hockey League goalie, taking bits and pieces from people. Yeah, I I guess I was surprised in a sense, but once I uh, you know stepped back and thought about what a student of the game he was, when I when I realized that, I, I guess it isn't really all that surprising that that he would notice the the fine details of how somebody wears their pads or or, or whatever. Um, no, he's he's really, really an observant guy who studies the game. And uh, as I said before, I, th- I think he's uh, well ahead of his time in that w- respect. And Ron Hextall w- was the guy that got him going on the on the guy being the next on wave the of pl- playing the yeah, puck. Yeah, yeah, and that sure. and I wanted I just I, like I know it was at the end and and we were pushing our time with him big time and he was so patient. I think in part because hopefully he was enjoying the conversation, but I had to hear him tell that story again. I'd heard it. Readers, oh, it of, re- readers of Ingle will recognize it. That uh, we've we've used those quotes in Ingle magazine in the past. We've shared that story, but to hear him tell it, like it's just so much better, especially in that environment. And, uh, man, like I, I hope the listeners have all enjoyed that interview because, like I said, uh, not very often you get an hour with with a Hall of Fame legend like that, and to have him just open up and share so much and so many great insights, as you said, going in Hutch, like whether you're a goalie, a goalie parent, a goalie coach, um, you know. And and some guys said this about Marty during his career: he may not have played the way everyone else was teaching, um, but if you can't take something out of what he was doing and the success he was having, then that's on you. And I find it really interesting that as people were saying that here he was being at the forefront of watching others and making sure he took something from everyone. So 
Um, it was an absolute pleasure. And uh, again, this job doesn't suck. <laughs> no, and uh, isn't it uh, interesting when when you talk about Martin Berdern and what he was able to accomplish, and and he's just just a just a normal loose guy, and I I don't know whether how many people were going to see play the position with that much casualness uh, to their game. And I like think Jordan Jordan Bennington was really intense. He went this down like well, they all are, but I don't know who's the most casual guy now. That's a good question. I try, I, now you've stumped me. I'd have to think about guys who talk on game day. There are guys like that, um, but not to that extent. I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know that anybody's quite the same as Marty right now. Yeah, but I mean, Very. for sure. But but don't forget. I mean, let let's not pin him as just casual and then that all the time. I no. one of the things I took away was uh, him talking about understanding that you can only be dialed in for so much time before you start to lose the focus, and that that was a skill that he practiced and prepared for. Um, so, so he had his time that he needed to be casual and he had his time where it was time to go to work. And, uh, maybe that is something that modern goaltenders need to learn because from a young age, they're taught that, that this is a business, this is work and you've got to treat this, uh, a a certain way. And we can't forget that you need to find some time in there to have a little bit of fun as well, if you want to be effective. And, uh, we, uh, we should congratulate Cam as well because Cam pulled off a rare feat. He got the start today ahead of Marty <laughs> as, as we played him right out of the gate. Uh, not bad, Cam. A good feather in the cap for uh, for the rest of your day at the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. Uh, for Kevin Woodley, David Hutchison, I'm Darren Millard. We really appreciate your support. If you like today's episode, leave a comment and a rating at your podcast provider. It's how this podcast movement sorts out the content from show to show. Uh, think of it as, as applause for a great save. In Goal Radio, the podcast is presented by thehockeyshop.com. Thanks for joining us.